Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. And it's very special because there's all three of us here reunited. There is Chapin Hemingway and Lee Carlo and me, Jeremy Fisk. Today we're going to check out uh, one of Netflix's newest releases, Sam Levinson's Malcolm and Marie. You are by far the most excruciating, difficult, stubbornly obnoxious woman I've ever met in my entire life. I fucking love you. Oh, he's so sensitive. He's romantic. But he's sweet, right? Well, I mean, yeah. When he's not being an emotional fucking terrorist. Oh. <laughs> I love the way you see the world, Marie. mystery the unknown it's what supports the tension of a relationship you're angry no the what if factor marie marie what if there's someone who loved them better okay guys so what i think is is super interesting about this movie is i mean if you can if you can take yourself in the way back machine to a year ago and we had just sort of heard, maybe just around now, heard of this virus um, from China coming in. And to know what sort of the upheaval virus, yeah. now that it's caused our life and the world. And that includes filmmaking. Um, and since we're a film podcast, I... I thought we'd sort of delve into that aspect of this film because this film, as far as I understand, has was um, produced and shot and edited all during the time of COVID, um, and it's it's essentially two people stuck in a house. It's sort of like it reminds me a little bit of like. Back in film school, if you they, they gave you these parameters of, hey, you have this location, you have two actors, go ahead and and make a film as as unique as you can make it. Yeah, wasn't that a Bob Weinstein request? There's a pandemic on, make a movie, two characters. Yeah, here, here are your rules. So obviously we know now that you can somewhat safely go out and make a movie, a big movie. Uh yeah, in somewhat similar fashion to what you did before COVID. I mean, the movie I'm working on has every other Hollywood star, and it's a giant film, and there's 200 people on it. But when we first heard of this virus, and we first were trying to figure out how do we get back to working, I think a lot of people were thinking very similarly to what Sam Levinson did here with Malcolm and Marie and said, hey, we got to we got to pare this down. We need a couple actors. We need a camera. We need a small crew. We got to keep everyone safe. And how can we make a movie like that? And I love that concept. And, you know, we've talked on this podcast endless times about, you know, Scorsese and having no limitations. Does that make him a worse filmmaker? Was it better when he had at least some budgetary limitations back in the day? And here's a film where it's almost like one of those 48-hour film festivals. You have to use this word. You have to, you have to use this prop, and you have two days to do it. Um, so... I guess was Sam with those per parameters was Sam Levinson successful in making one of the first and releasing one of the first quarantine movies that doesn't play to the aspect of hey we're in quarantine let's talk to each other on the screen you know that mm -hmm. that like pretending the pandemic doesn't exist um was he successful in that and did you have fun with knowing those limitations or maybe you didn't know it at the time. Yeah, Chapin, go ahead. I, I think so. I, I did have a fun time watching this movie. I was a I was a, on board for it. Um when you put it in the context of the pandemic and like creative things to do, I don't know that this is the most like creative response when you couch things in those contexts. Like um, you know, this movie is almost wall to wall dialogue. There's some really nice camera work, you know, given the fact that they were 
uh, in a pandemic and trying to have a minimal crew, I think 30 people, um, for some reason they decided to shoot on film and it looks really nice. Um, and I'm not really sure why they did that, but that's cool. But it's, it's, it's a movie that is just all dialogue essentially. I mean, there's some, there's some creative looking footage, as I said, but, um, you know, when you couch it in that terms, I remember when I mentioned that professor of ours, Jeremy, who I know you don't didn't really like that much, but um, I remember when he asked us to make a script, like wrote a, you know, write a script with no dialogue, and I wrote a movie that I eventually made that I really enjoyed making and that I loved that challenge. And I think those challenges can really coerce some like create some sort of unknown creativity out of you and challenge filmmakers in a way that um, you know you didn't think you could do before. I don't know that that's what this is. Like this, this seems like a a fairly. Um, you know, I I don't think of it as being particularly creative. It's just a lot of dialogue, but I, I enjoyed it and it was successful I think for it's, me. I think it is creative in the way that he plays with his limitations. And I mentioned like film school and like, to me, it, it reminds me of a lot of like maybe old French new wave films sure. or, or Fellini films, like stuff where it's just. Well, like Truffaut, Truffaut was yeah. very like self-referential and talked a lot about movie making and in his movies, you know, there, he made a movie about making movies. Yeah. And I think in that aspect of it, let's put it this way. I don't think he's making this movie. If there wasn't a pandemic, he's probably going bigger with stuff, Hmm. but instead Hmm. we get the, the, the Truffaut film talking about movies and, and starring a director and, the introspectiveness that 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 I'm sure him as a director is putting into this movie. Well, then from that perspective, I definitely appreciate it. And I agree with you. I think it is a very creative thing. And I think another choice and Lee, I'll let you talk at some point. I mean, you're still here, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, One thing I, I really enjoyed about this and I think was a smart choice. And obviously Sam Levison has a connection with Zendaya who was on euphoria. And I guess she kind of asked him to write this movie. Um, but you know, we've got two pretty big stars here. Like, I mean, they are up and coming, I think, but Zendaya Zendaya is a huge star and John David Washington is someone we all like and is, you know, fresh off of tenant. And I think that helps a lot. Like if these were two kind of random cheap people, um, who even were good actors, I think that'd be fun, but like, I don't know that it would be quite as, um, engaging. What do you think, Lee? Well, I like a lot of what you guys are saying in terms of, uh, putting ourselves back in June of 2020, when a lot of unanswered questions about how we can interact with each other and function as a society with COVID surrounding us. And if we can successfully put ourselves in that place, then... I have to imagine that Levinson said, this is my option. If I want to make a movie, this is the movie I have to make. But I I agree with you, Chapin, your first point, at least, in terms of the creativity here. Because, you know, I, I, I don't have off the top of my head what they could have done that was more interesting or more creative. Yeah, but that's the thing. And, and the, like, what do you guys want creativity? But, like, what... I feel like I want him to go in the woods and, you know, do something I, crazy like that. I think it's I think what what I struggle with is that I've in in many ways seen this movie before. And in in theory, that makes it less creative. Now, we are obviously trying to put it into context. And for that reason, like I admire what Levinson did here. I don't think that I'm as impressed with this movie or enjoyed the experience as much as it sounds like you guys maybe did. And there's a lot of reasons for that that we'll get into. Uh, but on the surface, like, yeah, like I, I think they, they took the challenge of grabbing a small crew, a camera and two actors and making something that was engaging on some level. And it, they chose to do it in the form of dialogue and in discussing a lot of, Topical issues, a lot of issues that are uh, important to, I'm sure, the filmmaker and the actors and things that we have talked about as recently as the last podcast. Um, Yeah. So I I think for that, yeah, good. Uh, Credit is due. But beyond that, I I struggled to really 
uh, attached to this movie in any way. All right. Well, before we get into that, I just want to like circle back a little bit and talk about, um, you know, what you guys, I, I feel like I'm misrepresenting myself a little bit by saying creativity. I didn't necessarily need anything unusual. I didn't need something mm-hmm. unique that said, Hey, like if this, if I didn't know this took place in COVID, I would have probably appreciated this movie at the same level. And I have my issues with it and we'll get into it, but I probably would have appreciated it at the same level. When I first started watching it, I was like, oh, here comes another movie that could have been a play. Like, cause we've seen a lot of those this year between Ma Rainey and in the heat of the night. And I feel like there's some, (laughs) I mean, uh, one night in Miami, sorry, in the heat of the night, uh, Sydney, yeah just Um, on your he's just on your mind today yeah uh one night in miami and i feel like there's others that i'm missing but um this is this is chicago seven even maybe you could this is a film through and through and you could feel the love of filmmaking in this movie and it quick that quickly dissipated with me and i'm like Mm. no this is not a play this is a movie this this is a filmmaker making something Um, i disagree with that i think Part of the problem here, and I don't want to dive too deeply into it, but part of the problem here is that because this is sort of set up like it is a play, like it's just all dialogue, it's two actors going toe-to-toe, the effort to make it cinematic or stylize it, I found distracting. Doesn't mean that stuff wasn't good or well done, but when you're watching something like this, and you're constantly thinking, oh, this could be a play, that you then, as a movie, you immediately start looking at what the director... And we talked about this with Ma Rainey. We immediately start looking at what is the director doing to make sure that it's not a play, to prove to you that it's a movie. Where, when is he moving his camera? You know, what, uh, what kind of angles is he, is he shooting at? And I found some of that stuff distracting. I thought he was successful. I mean, I, I, I thought it was just, uh, if you gave me the first 10 minutes, I would have said that, like, especially that one one uh, tracking shot that just went back and forth outside mm-hmm. the window. And I was like, oh, okay. But soon after, that all went away. And I really appreciated what he decided to do and what he focused on and how he moved his camera. Chapin, I feel like we are uh, losing you to the window. No, 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 no. Um, I was just looking up how this movie is performing. It's doing pretty well. Number two on Netflix's top ten. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that's an interesting thing to talk about, uh, but we don't have to go there quite yet. Um, Yeah, you know, like, I think that there's a lot of on-paper things to criticize about this movie. You know, like, it's a little... Like, I was (laughs) was thinking about... um, I feel like you could remove every fourth word from the dialogue and you'd probably be okay. Um, like it's just, it's James inc- Cameron style. It's incredibly overwritten. Yeah. It's like a frame out of every second. Um, yeah. it's incredibly overwritten. Um, you know, it was felt very felt like if you went back and read one of my scripts and probably one of your scripts, but I know one of my scripts from, you know, 10 or 12 years ago, you would see that there was like so many curse words. Um, and this movie just has way too many, like they say fuck way too many times and it's just, it's just distracting and it doesn't feel um genuine i think like there is there's nice camera movement i think when he tries to be more creative it does get a little distracting to your point lee um but and you know they have some night they you know try to find nice ways to stage you know the way this dialogue unfolds but ultimately like i didn't really care about that stuff it didn't bother me enough i i enjoyed i was involved in in this story which is this argument and i think that that's something Mm. that is something that should be noted it's a little long at 106 minutes but um, a little I it, it, you're right. It should have been ninety. Um, it should <laughs> have been nine. ninety minutes. But like, I was involved in this argument, and I think it's something. It says something that they are able to tell this story that is essentially an argument. You're involved in this one argument. I mean, it does like speak to their relationship, and and you kind of see their dynamic play out. But you know, really, it's just this one incident that they're talking about. And I think I don't know. I was interested in it, and and I get that like. There are all these issues, but I didn't really, it didn't really bother me that much. And I think that they're at the heart of this movie is 
despite a lot of flaws that I think, you know, are, are, are reasonable to point out on your, on your behalf, Lee. Um, but that I, I really didn't, I, I think shows that Sam Levinson is a, is a, is a skilled filmmaker. Well, I'd like to talk about that some more because I have a few points on that, both kind of on a personal note and just in terms of the movie that this, this movie is basically about, you know, a night, uh, with these two characters, they return from John David Washington's movie premiere. He plays a director and Zendaya is his girlfriend. And, uh, what we eventually learn, um, partially an inspiration for his movie. And they, they oscillate between the romance and arguments throughout this movie. And it became repetitive for one, which was troublesome i just was like okay this was an intense argument that they opened this movie with well acted you know uh interesting things that they're talking about here Uh, everybody's making some good points and then snap your fingers and they're in love again and making out and and going down on each other and then uh, you know uh snap your fingers again and they're back in another argument that triggers a long monologue about something else and that oscillation was just uh, fragmented to me. I felt like this movie was was never kind of going in one direction. It was just deciding it was going to be about this, then it was going to be about this, then it was going to be about this, so that Levinson could get all these thoughts down on paper. Now, on a personal note, that stuff is hard for me to watch. I don't like movies with relationships like this. They make me sad. I I know they exist. There's probably some authenticity to it. It also may be exaggerated to a certain extent for cinematic purposes, and that's all okay. But it makes me sad. I don't like to see people that are supposedly in love talk to each other like this for 90 minutes, for 106 minutes. And I think that that detracted some for me. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with the oscillation. And there's a point where... And it's towards the end of the movie where she said, why didn't you? Oh, by the way, when I was listening to when I was listening to your last podcast with you two and you're talking about spoilers, I I thought we should have like some sort of uh, button or sound effect that we just push. Like a spoiler alert. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. We'll we'll figure it out. A famous person's voice. Beware. Um, but when when she says, why didn't you cast me? And it shot off another argument. I, I literally rolled my eyes and I said, like, here we go again. Because it was very repetitive. Um, this movie this movie was weird to me. Like, I was on it and off of it. Yeah. I, was, I was with it and then I wasn't. It, it like, very similar to their dysfunctional relationship. I... I, I rode the wave, and then I, I said, I've had enough, and then I rode it again. It, it was very bizarre to me um, it, like that. So I agree with you, Lee, but ultimately I, I think I found a lot of pleasure in the writing and the filmmaking in this movie enough I think to it's because they're, it. they're saying interesting things like and throughout this movie. Like they're, they're, they're being critical of movie criticism. Of course that's going to interest us. Oh, like, I can't I, wait. I can't I, wait to talk about that scene. When he's when he's reading the review, yes, I loved it's, it, and it's funny. Yeah, there's a yeah, lot that's I funny about it. the and dialogue. It was like in everything me and Chapin tried to say um, uh, two podcasts <laughs> ago. Yeah, well, yeah and when I mean, he goes, it's it's a fucking dolly, you dumbass. Um, but like stuff like that is great, and like it's really interesting to listen to them talk about those things, and and to talk about uh, the uh, why. John David Washington's character has to be compared to Spike Lee and Barry Jenkins. Why can't he be compared to a white director like William Wyler? And like, these are all interesting conversations. And they even touch on the conversation that you guys had mostly two podcasts ago. Me and Chapin touched on it a little bit about who can play a certain type of person. Does a drug addict have to play a drug addict because they can bring more authenticity right. to it? And I was like, I was like, this is awesome. We just talked about this. And so all those meta- things are interesting to listen to, but I, I, and I was even like, I was driving today and I was thinking about t- talking about this movie and I was like, I know I'm going to end up saying all of these things are in this movie and being done well, but to what end? And I don't mean it that pejoratively, I, but I do feel like 
it was all just kind of there so that we could hear it. And it's just stuff that we've thought about yeah, or talked about. And now it's on screen. It so now it's, a lot to do now with it's the public record. Conflict. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, no, I agree with you. And, and, and I think it sounds like I'm the one who liked this movie the most. And I, but I don't know if I ever need to watch it again. You know, I mean, it's kind of like, right. I think like, you know, to your opening question, Jeremy it was pretty insightful. Like, you know, I think we're all going to look back on this this time in quarantine and it's going to be a bad it's going to you know, we're not going to want to remember it. You know, we're not going to want to watch movies about covid. I don't think, you know, we're not nobody's going to want to be reminded of this time. But that doesn't mean like we didn't have a good time during all this. But I don't know that we ever need to do it again. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know <laughs> that I ever need to be in this situation again. And that's kind of how I feel about Malcolm and Murray. Like it was a it was a fun movie i don't know and and, a, and sort of a singular experience like oh yeah that's the movie that was made during the uh pandemic and and figured out an interesting way to do it uh early on and um that's all it is and that's all it needs to be and and it was an enjoyable 106 minutes and i don't know that i need to see it again um yeah i mean like it just it it to add to a level of that, it just reminded me of certain movies that influenced me, like, back in the day. Like, even up, I don't know what where this pull came from, but, like, even, like, a movie like Roger Dodger. Just, like, these, like, sort of smaller, uh, grittier movies where people are walking and talking and, like, I, I don't know. There's something about that sort of filmmaking I really like and I really miss, and, and if somebody can do it well... well I can't take credit for the comparison. I heard it somewhere, but um, someone mentioned Tape, the uh, mm. Linklater movie. I haven't seen that. And when that was mentioned, that was sort of an epiphany moment for me because that is three actors in a room for the entire movie having a dialogue. But it leads somewhere. It reveals something in the end. There's not a lot revealed here. This movie doesn't really lead anywhere other than that these two shouldn't be together. <laughs> and... That That is what this was missing for me. I was like, sure, you can wax poetic about all of these things. And John David Washington is good in this movie. I think I, I think he's better in this than he is in Tenet. And I, maybe oh, that's def- not... I, I don't like him in Tenet. Disagree. But I, I think... I think boring in Tenet. No, we know, let's not, we know, let's not get, know that. We know that. <laughs> let's not get into it. He's good in this movie. Zendaya is good, too. I think she's and really good. I thought I she was fantastic. Really she, yeah. she will definitely be... Uh, under fixy consideration, I well, thought she, I thought, I thought that uh, JD, as he's known, uh, w- is really a good actor and one that we root for and like. And I, I, I'm like excited for what's happening in his career. But I feel like Zendaya acted circles around him in this movie. I think there were points where she did, and I can specifically, uh, I guess, point to an incident like when he it's towards the beginning of the movie he gets the mac and cheese and they're having an argument and he starts I was acting so hungry very comically like and he doesn't act this way the rest of the movie it's a very over the top oh like, when he's comical. like pacing around the room no he's eating the mac and cheese oh, okay. maybe he's pacing too after that but there's just like sections where i'm like what what is he doing but then there's others where i think he's just and majority I mean, he, of the movie where I think he is fantastic. I know. I think he's, he, I also he think nails he's good. these I monologues. Yeah. And it's just, so all this stuff was good. And we talked about the filmmaking, like on the surface, it's good. Like I liked some of the camera work. The black and white looks really great. I actually, I love that they shot it on film. It looks really nice. And, but this movie doesn't go anywhere. Like we don't, none of all of these conversations That's that they're true. having don't, don't ever get to a point it tries to. It acts like it does. Like, it has this big reveal at the end. It's like, why didn't you cast me? And, oh, is that what this has all been about? Well, no, but it there, actually has the not. Problem, the problem with that is that was the fourth reveal that starts I know, a, of exactly. the fourth argument. So there's really no big... But even if the movie thinks that that's where... If that was its reveal, none of the stuff that they've been talking about leading up to that were clues towards that. Like, uh. there's no... It just doesn't have, and that's why I com- I liked the, or I, I guess I liked the comparison to tape. Tape is, is more successful. Is in there that another it, one you can think of? Another movie like this, like a movie that is just people in a room or a couple I mean, locations faces, talking. Which has been years since I saw Faces, but the Cassavetes film is just people talking in a room. 
Um, I can't remember really what they're talking about. I mean, so I feel that's like not there's so example, many examples, but, but I, I can't think of another one really. I mean, there's this uh, there's this movie called Carnage that oh, yeah, um, yeah. is based on a play that Roman Polanski directed. Winslet's in it. Uh, Christoph Waltz is in it. I think John C. Riley and Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster, right? Jodie Foster's in it. And they and they just talk about you know, a fight their kids got in, and that that's similar to this. Like it's just you know. They start getting along, they start resolving something, then something triggers the next part of the argument and they disagree. And then, you know, there's, it, it shows the complicated nature of all, each of their relationships. And, you know, that but movie right. is, I, I watched once and I'll never watch again, yeah. similar to something like this. I mean, and you're this right. is like, much I, more stylized. The, this, the, this type of movie as a play, you know, were super popular when I was acting in high school, you know, because they're simple to do. It's like a single location. You don't need a ton of sets. And it's relatively simple what happens, what unfolds on screen. But you're right, Lee, like this, they almost always culminate into a climax into something happening. And I think you're right that that didn't really happen here. Um, and, you know, like they wrote, Sam Levinson wrote this movie and they, you know, they did everything within, you know, the, the 2020 with it during, during the, the pandemic. And so, you know, things were rushed, but I, you know, I'm willing to accept this as a, as a nice experiment, you know, and Netflix bought this movie for $30 million. They had a $2.5 million budget. Um, it's probably so a lot, success. probably a lot to pay for that. But I mean, honestly, it's been on with the exception of today, it has been on the Netflix top 10 s- since it's come out on Friday, <laughs> which is, isn't a lot, but I mean, Mank didn't even break the top 10. So, uh, you know, what do we got to say about that? I don't know. You know, I mean, maybe it will now. It's a little more. It's after it's gotten all these nominations. Yeah, I mean, again, it's it it goes back to my point of like, I just felt the I felt the filmmaker doing something unique here. And because I, I had like I, I could sense that that added a level um, of appreciation to this movie. I don't think I would have had yeah. otherwise. Is this and filmmaking the, to you guys? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I love. I, yeah, like like I said at the beginning, it's like you're you're in one house. You got two actors. How do you do it? Like, um, and I think they they do it in a very um, cinematic way. Lee. Yeah, I mean it. It is. It, uh, it's not a type of filmmaking that I'm particularly in love with. Um, I think it's more filmmaking than like Ma Rainey is. Hmm. It's more stylized than Ma Rainey is, but. Uh, there's a shot there's a shot in this movie where um they're both lying on the floor they're kissing each other and then uh john david washington gets up he says he has to go pee or something and he's like don't move don't say anything because we'll get in another argument if you do and then of course they do but uh well the camera's like that's the part where she's the camera's on like the floor level and it's kind of a cool shot because it's it's mostly on him, but then he gets up and then she's essentially upside down in the frame, lying on the floor, and it just holds on her as as she waits and they talk. And there's some cool stuff like that. And I and I thought and I even thought at one point there's some other shots where the camera is back more and the the actors are sort of in the distance within in the frame. And I was like, this is interesting. And I didn't pay close enough attention at the time, but I was wondering. I was like. Are they like actually physically keeping distance from each other as they shoot this movie? And so there's stuff like that that's very subtle and very very simple. That's good filmmaking. Whether you know, you know, we talk about Alfonso Cuarón and and Jeeva Lubezki doing ten minute shots in a car. That's also filmmaking that we just love. But this is very simple and we like it. The stuff at the beginning with the panning back and forth in the kitchen, like. That's student film shit. Like what? That's what? what it, that's like, how I felt at the beginning too. Like, why are you doing this? This is silly. <laughs> um, is there any more we can get into on that one scene with where he sort of breaks down the review? So he gets this good review from the New York Times, Los Angeles um, Times, but it, or whatever. Uh, but the writer tries to make his film about more than he's saying. You know, try to imper- interpret it as sort of a woke person, um, and he sort of rails against that. 
saying, like, why can't a film just be emotional? Why can't it just be about what it's about? Why does it, like... And and it's interesting because, like, we've, especially the last couple of years, like, every other movie we we review, you, you know the filmmakers are consciously trying to make a point. I mean, you guys talked about it on um, the last podcast. Uh, like, that... That movie was a direct response to the Me Too movement, as you guys spoke about. Um, but he's he's making this argument that you're you know we're losing a bit of the filmmaking as as sort of a raw emotional experience, which I think they're you know um, Levinson tried to bring back with this movie. I think that's what he was objective, whether you guys think it was successful or not. Um, you know, well he he's gotten a lot of criticism. You know, I, I had to say, like, and I learned this from the Big Picture podcast, and, but I think it's good. I, I, I may be wrong about you, Lee, but I think the three of us are not on Twitter, um, where I think a yeah, lot of this awful dialogue takes place that we hate. But he, Levinson's got a lot of criticism for, for this movie um, that I haven't really explored, and maybe I wish I had time but to where's do that. The, where is that criticism coming from? Like, It's about it from him, him, like, him sort of using, they call it, what was the word that Sean Fantasy used? Um, like puppeteering or marionetting or something like that, where you're you're using these black characters to work through white issues. I think essentially, essentially, is the um, uh, the the complaint. Um, maybe Lee, you can. I don't know if you know anymore, but um, and I, you know, I, I that that can that doesn't hold much water for me. Like, I mean. I feel like we're, are we only like I think this speaks to what you were saying, Jeremy. Like, if we if we're if we're in this world where everything is scrutinized because a, a white filmmaker is casting two black actors to say his dialogue, like, like no one ever no one is ever going to make another movie about something else. But to speak to what the movie is saying and what John John David Washington's character is saying, I think that's true. Like, imagine being Spike Lee or or. Um, you know, uh, who's the guy that did small axes? Um, Steve, McQueen. Steve McQueen, like, or Barry Jenkins, you know, like these, these guys are, I mean, I think their movies are inherently like political and cultural and they have importance in that sense. They're not like, you know, John Singleton who, you know, sort of went more action and commercial oriented after boys in the hood. But, um, you know, just because of the, their, I mean, mostly because of their race, but, you know, also because of their films, like everything is seen through this different lens. And like, that isn't how movies are supposed to be seen. And like, that's, this is my primary complaint with all this stuff that the two of the three of us have been talking about over the last two podcasts is like, movies aren't political. They're not, you're not supposed to watch a movie in this binary way. Like it's not left or right. It's not black or white. Like movies are these experiences that we all feel in a very deep and complicated way. If they're good, you know? Um, and yeah, and I have trouble to- like fitting this type of criticism into this square, uh, you know, this like round peg into a square hole. Like this is, it's more complicated than that. And you can't apply this like, um, you know, divisive political rhetoric to, to, to this kind of emotional type of filmmaking. Yeah. And it makes you wonder why we're everyone, especially now. And I don't know if it is Twitter, it's our culture, it's the news, the 24 hour news cycle, but something makes us want to, to put everything into categories. Totally. Like, there's, there's well, something out there that makes us do this. And, and I remember like, in, in filmmaking in general, one of my favorite quotes about it is, is Scorsese. He, he says, like, basically what he loves the most about movies is they're a collective memory. It's a memory we all have. It's a memory, like, if we both watch the same movie, we can go. If I don't, a stranger in California well, You go to the film the and all movie, you leave is with a memory from yeah. that. <laughs> well, it's true. But you, you, you can speak to somebody about, like, hey, did you see that movie? And you both have seen it. And it's this, I mean, memories are different, but. Right, it like, can be different things to different people. That's different things to different people, but you can both talk about it and it's collective. And it's like, and that's that's what's so great about movies. But at the same time, I don't want to rule out that movies can, of course, deal with subjects, and they're supposed to deal with subjects. It's just about then taking that and putting it into boxes, and to say, you know, 
you can't deal with that subject, you you can deal with that subject. Should you have this person deal with that subject? Like, I think that's when we start divvying it up like that. Then it's like, what do like what are we doing? How are we all not just trying to make the best films we can? I I agree with that. Um, I was thinking today about I was listening to the um, rewatchables on Taxi Driver, and that film was you know political and. You know, I was thinking about. I, I think I don't think it's. I don't think that that film has a, like a necessarily a political point of view. But you know, he's a Vietnam War veteran, uh, but he's got this kind of you know what you would probably describe these days as kind of like a right leaning mentality. But he also like rescues um, prostitutes, and you know, uh, and I was thinking like, I wonder how someone on the polarized left and on the uh, and on the polarized right would like watch this movie that I don't think has a clear obvious political position how they would interpret it these days you know like like i think we i think you know us three left-leaning gentlemen would probably be like oh yeah the vietnam war had this awful you know we didn't take care of these people when they came home and we subjected them to all this violence and we taught them to kill and they came home and they were fucked up and then they were let loose on society and like here's all this shit that happened but how would somebody on the right look at it maybe in a completely different way and that is what's beautiful about film. I mean, like, also, we don't have to, like, couch all of our opinions in in politics. You know, we don't have to have, we don't have to step back. And I feel this pressure all the time to, like, put it in some category. And I don't like to do that. I don't want to do that. Except for the fixies. Those are categories. Well, and that's what's, and, and what, what we're talking about is, is, in large part, where we started this is, a little bit of the conversation that that Malcolm is having throughout this movie about being put in this box, being called the next Spike Lee, being called the next Barry Jenkins, and and not just like this, not just being a director that made a poppy movie or an emotional movie, and it's that category, it's that box that you know specifically, I'm sure, black filmmakers and black artists are put in more so than white artists, and in that regard, this this movie. You, that in that regard, you can you can draw the line to the criticism that Sam Levinson is getting, right? But you you can't have it both ways. You can't you can't have Sam Levinson make a movie that's a, essentially about just two characters, black or white. There's some dialogue that uh, that is is essential to them being black, but you know it doesn't really matter for this movie. And if they were white. People would be saying, "How come? How come we're not casting more black actors?" Now we have black actors cast, and the conversation goes to Sam Levinson can't direct them and tell their story. So he's now put in a really tough position on how how to make a movie that talks about things that he wants to talk about, but also things that are universal and that any actor, black or white, left or right, can talk about and are relevant and that leads directly to the points you guys are making that everything is just categorized and it makes it impossible and, and to look and, and people uh, are allowed to criticize everything. too like if they do like it's like that it's like that thing where a judge like when they try to describe porn like i i can't describe it i know it when i see it like if you cross the line and like you start getting into stereotypes or or whatever you you deserve to be criticized and you can be criticized and you can be criticized for essentially, uh, you know, like the opportunity to criticize is a good deterrent. Right. Like, Ron I'm Howard very, was the example you gave. Yeah. I'm very glad that that, that exists. E.W. Griffith probably shouldn't have used blackface in yeah. Birth of a Nation. Yeah. But, you know, I'm not going to rehash my argument, but, I, you know, I just want to say, like, I'm not, I'm not, none of us are saying people are immune to criticism. They can do whatever they want. They should be criticized if they cross that line. But we also shouldn't categorize everybody and say you can only do certain things. Um, which it I think is our the first argument. instinct. Our, yeah. our first instinct shouldn't be like, why is Sam Levinson directing this movie? Right. Let's, let's, let's watch the movie first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's watch the movie. Um, so it sounds like we're a little bit mixed on this film. I think Lee's a little lower on it. Chape is a little higher on it. I'm right perfectly in the middle. So Perfect. It's modest. Speaking about brilliant points of view, do you want to tell the audience why you agree with me about Promising Young Woman? So Ooh, who's going to win? I really enjoyed that podcast, by the way. I thought you guys yes. made a lot of good points. Um, 
and I'm kind of glad I wasn't on it because I was like, I was listening to it. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's kind of how I felt. Like, yeah. Oh, good point, Chapin. Yes. Good point. No, but the thing is, you both <laughs> you both disagreed and agreed the whole podcast. Like, Lee kept saying, I love it, but then would completely agree with Chapin's point of view. So, in a weird way, I agree with both. Yeah. I agree with both of you, but yeah, I definitely was on the side of um, uh, of not particularly love. Like, I didn't have I didn't Greater have that enjoyable experience you did, Lee. I, I I felt it made me feel uncomfortable and not in the way I think that the filmmaker meant for it to make me feel. Um, her character was very confusing to me for all the points that you guys brought up. Just uh, the her. Um, motivations and the the concept of what she was trying to do in terms of the plot i mean all that stuff that you guys brought up i i I totally agree with i think it was messy and tonally it was so far out of whack that it did make me feel uncomfortable and i didn't have any sort of catharsis at the end when when she was killed and uh everyone got their come up it's none of that I was I was very, I was just more confused, and then I was just so happy at the end. Like that was, was the thing that. about the movie is like it was just better than the sum of its parts because the parts were a borderline disaster at some at some points. They were a mess. But I just yeah I don't know what else to say. Like sometimes and, you just and really good thing enjoy her a movie. Plan worked out. There was a lot of points where the plan probably shouldn't have worked out. Like, oh, it was a well-oiled plan. She had. Yeah. <laughs> Like when when Allison uh, yeah Allison Brie got drunk like how did she know that that was gonna play out that way that was just uh, none of it yeah anyhow but uh, long story short Chapin wins next oh, fuck I haven't won a competition on this podcast ever oh is that true I, I don't know there's been two hundred something episodes I don't know <laughs> probably not I feel like a major loser. Well, uh, do we have anything else to talk about? Was that just it? Well, we, I mean, Lee didn't want to talk about One Night in Miami. Well, I'd love to talk about it. I'm just not real fresh on it. I'll, I'll say, so I think it's fitting to talk about it. It's an, it's another uh, movie that is based on a play. I know Malcolm, Marie, Malcolm and Marie was not, but felt like it. Uh, Regina King directed it. I I really liked it. Um I thought some of the performances were fantastic with uh, definite fixie considerations. Um, I, I don't want to go too much into it right now because I, I need to rewatch it in preparation for the fixies. It's not fresh in my mind, but I know Jeremy, you just watched it, Chapin. I think yep. you've watched it a little more recently. Maybe I, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I, I, th- I thought it was interesting. I watched it this shortly after I watched Malcolm and Marie for the podcast, and I think it's interesting to compare these two films. Like I think with. Um, one night in Miami, just it was just well made. You know all those little things we criticized about Malcolm Marie that I you know didn't find particularly problematic, but were still issues. You know none of that in this film. Um, really well made, solid, solid script. Um, but it just didn't. It just wasn't anything. It was just anything special. Um, I didn't. I didn't think the. You know I think Regina King is a is a. She's is this her first film? Uh, that she's made. I believe, yeah, I believe so, so, yeah. You know, she's a first time yeah. director. I thought she handled it great, but I just, I, I don't, and I, I think this is the smart thing for a director to do is to make a solid film first and then, you know, find your voice. But yeah, like this had a bunch of good performances, some better than others, um, really well constructed, you know, dialogue and, 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 and all that. But I just, yeah, I, I was just kind of waiting for something special to happen, which, it never really did, but it it was still a very effective story, and one told in a very sort of competent manner. And I think that that she deserves praise for that. And I liked, and I liked that unlike Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, this this left the confines of the proscenium, right? It was it was bigger. It you know for the most part it takes place in this hotel room, but there are scenes outside of it. There's scenes in some convenience stores. There's scenes at a boxing match. Couple There's of boxing all matches, yeah. Yeah, so so it, it is not as contained as your typical uh, play adaptation, which 
I appreciated as well, especially having coming coming right off of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom when I saw it. Yeah, uh, I agree. It's I wanted to like it more. Like, there's nothing wrong with it, and the performances are, are fantastic, and these characters are super interesting. But I, I, I guess I wanted more drama between them. Like, I wanted something to come of these four men, four hugely historical men that hung out together in a hotel in Miami one day. I wanted more to come of their relationship with each other. Um, I think it was, I, I think um, Kingsley Ben-Adir, who played Malcolm X, was sort of the the linchpin of the group. And it was really, it really revolved around his story. Hmm. Um, and I think he was, of the four, the he, best. He was so he, good. And he was he so was good. good. And to Odom play Malcolm X. Is, is the one getting all the praise, though, interestingly enough. Leslie Odom was, Jr. Yeah, he was yeah, really he good, was too. And he's from Hamilton. Yeah. Um, but Kingsley Benadier, who I had never seen before, I know he's been in a lot of uh, a lot of TV. But I don't know. I mean, Denzel Washington gave such a historically good performance in in Malcolm X as Malcolm X that for anybody to play that character as well as Kingsley Benadier did was shocking to me. I, I was so impressed with his performance. Leslie Odom Jr. I thought was really good too. The only actor among the four that I just thought wasn't wasn't you know playing with the heavyweights ironically was Eli Gorey yeah, who he, plays he, Muhammad he, Ali. He, he felt a little out of his league. Um, um, I, I do think this film so guys I would love to do when we're all done with Fixie season I would love to do Ali which is a 2001 movie. Michael Mann. Flashback okay. to, tw- it was 20 years ago when we continue our 20th anniversary series. You should remember this. I think that is an incredibly underrated movie. I think it's a brilliant movie that you guys will soon appreciate after you watch it for the podcast. <laughs> I love how, what he wanted to say is, is you guys will soon agree with me yeah, about. <laughs> you will soon agree with me. Um, but, you know, it defines, like, you know, Angelo Dundee and, uh, you know, Howard Bingham and those those characters, the the people surrounding, you know, not that they were that important in um, One Night in Miami, but like, you know, I, that that guy from the the Wire, just I don't know, and and Michael Imperioli, who I like from from the Sopranos, Spider- but like they, you know, they just it's it's that Ali does such a great job with those side characters that are super important in Muhammad Ali's life that you don't really think about. Um, in fact, uh, Mario Van Peebles plays Malcolm X and does a really, really good mm-hmm. job. You know, you wouldn't think it. He's not someone I think of as being a particularly great actor. But um, anyways, that's a really great film. Similar time period as this. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to look at it. We yeah, should talk I mean, about Kemp Powers, too. I meant to bring him up on the, on the Soul podcast. He wrote the screenplay for Soul. And he also wrote the screenplay for this. Good year for him. Excellent. Well, um, ba- oh, based on his own play yeah. based on his own play. Wow. Yeah. That is impressive. Yeah. When did he write the play? How, how many years ago? I wonder. Oh, no. uh, I guess we don't that know. Up. 2013. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, clearly he's a really good writer and, um, I wish this, yeah, I just wish this movie had a little bit more. It was, I think it was just like Regina King did, did such a good job of just getting onto the screen what she had on paper that she forgot to sort of fill in the the in-betweens with her own Hmm. her own sort of flair or or style it was like she had this great template to work from and these great characters um and i think and, and you get a good movie out of that i mean don't get me wrong you get a good movie out of that but i feel like it could have been it could have been a little more I feel like I liked it, you know, leaving the theater much more than you guys did. But I will say that in the month or so since I've watched it, it hasn't left me with a lot to talk about or think about other than some of these performances. So in that regard, it's a a little forgettable, which isn't necessarily a good sign. Um, I do want to watch it again before the Fixies because I, I, you know, especially there's a lot of movies I need to rewatch before the Fixies just as a refresher, but um, 
it sounds like what you're suggesting is maybe that Regina King played it a little safe as a director, which it's her first time behind the camera. Maybe that's the case. Maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but it does give me the impression that maybe you're excited about what she's going to do next behind the camera. I mean, I'd be curious to see what she could do without such a strong foundation as a script like this. I, I think you know what's crazy is about her is that sorry, Chapin. Oh, that, okay. You know, through in the '90s, like good character actress, right? Jerry Maguire, Enemy of the State. Like I remember her and all those things. And then I I don't know what she's been doing in the last twenty years, but like in the last three or four, like she's really just like come on as one of the most talented people working, whether it's in movies like Beale Street, which I know you guys didn't like, but she was good in and now directing. And I, I just think... Age and wisdom. Age and wisdom. Oh, she's done a, a long way. ton of TV, it looks like, since 2013. So, there's that. So that... Um, no, you know, like, I think... I think we, you know, we talked a little bit about um, the Vast of Night earlier this or last year, which I caught. I hope doesn't come up in anybody's fixie lists. But um, uh, oh, no, Lee. Um, but uh, best picture of the year. I think um, you know we think about these like breakout successes. Like, oh yeah, they were so innovative and stuff. But I do think like if your first movie is something like this with with such a strong foundation of the sort of like important things that make up a good filmmaker, you know, she, you know, she didn't flex her, her muscles or anything on this. And, but you know, that's a, that's, this is a great place to start. It's a foundation, you know, it's a foundation to build on. And if you've got the fundamentals, uh, there's nowhere else to go, but up, you know, you just build on them and it's, and, 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 you know, there's not a lot of 50 year old black women directing movies. So hopefully she'll find a voice and be in, you know, become a very interesting filmmaker. And she's got, the foundation. It's clear in this film. All right. Well, I think that is going to wrap it up for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Uh, yeah. Feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com is uh, <laughs> where you want to send. Is that right? Yes, that is right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, send any notes about our which could have been controversial takes I wonder I also wonder if we need to be more controversial to get some of these emails um, yeah I'd be okay with that yeah let's just do it let's just <laughs> say horrible things I like to do, I like to be I like to have controversial takes mostly because it makes Chapin angry what do you mean that's what I enjoy most and Chapin goes under an alias and uh, emails us <laughs> hi my name's Brantley <laughs> I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.